I'm going to present something very simple in a lot of ways today. It won't even, I don't even know in preparing it how, if it feels like a traditional kind of message at all because of where it came from. So as many of you know, uh, I've been getting involved for a while now in doing coaching, uh, more business coaching. I've been a life coach as a pastor for a long, long time, obviously, for, for decades now. I've been life coach. But now we're starting to get involved in, with some, a friend of mine who, who uh, started doing business coaching for companies who need consultation on leadership, interpersonal work relationships, and sometimes that turns into outside of work things like marriage and family, so it becomes more life coaching as well. But we're doing a lot of that sort of stuff these days. And as we are and as we're helping people all across the country over Zoom or, you know, whatever, um, sometimes we're preparing content to teach them in groups besides the one-on-one -on -one coaching that goes on. And one of the things that we, I worked on, I've worked on the last few months for uh, some group instruction was a conversation about filling the gaps. And I wanted to talk to our church about it today because I think the principles don't just apply to a business culture. They apply to a workplace. They apply to marriage. They apply to family. They apply to every part of life. So, you know, in light of the wedding, and I didn't take the day off today. I would have taken the day off probably, but we're gone next weekend. Now, remind you, we're gone next weekend for Michelle's parents' 50th wedding anniversary celebration in Ohio. That's been a lot of work and effort and money too. So two weekends in a row are kind of big. We're gone next weekend, and Anthony's going to be preaching. Because of that, what I wanted to do today is um, just kind of still be here so I won't miss two weeks in a row. But in light of the weekend, bring something that was familiar to me and simple and hopefully present it in a way that will help your personal life as well. We're going to use a bit of scripture in the gospel at the end of the sermon. Usually I start off the sermon with more uh, some Bible verses. I'm going to look at just one early on. And we're going to look at no other scripture until the end. And we're going to put it in the context of the gospel at that point. But at the beginning I want to just share something I would share with business owners in San Diego, California, to Baltimore, Maryland, to Tennessee, places that we counsel. And I think it can apply to your life as well today. We'll get to the fuller picture at the end. But it's about filling the gaps. Because as long as there are people in the world, there will be gaps. Now I'll explain that. But let me, let me take you to what James, the brother of Jesus, said. James, the brother of Jesus, was talking in his epistle, the book of James, in James chapter 3, he was talking about the tongue and how we use our tongue to hurt people or say things we shouldn't say. And as he gets into this long talk about how we use our tongue, he makes a, a statement in the beginning. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, right? We all make many mistakes. We just do. That's who we are. We're human. We all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, because he's speaking about the tongue specifically, he said we would be perfect and all, could also control ourselves in every other way. So again, his context is the tongue. My context is broader. He was right. We all make many mistakes. And not just with our mouths, but in every, in every other way. We all make mistakes. We all create what I call gaps in our relationships. Gaps in our relationships with people we work with, we live with, we share life with, we're friends with. We create gaps all the time. Now, when I say that we create gaps, what do I mean? What are gaps? Well, gaps are the difference between what we expect people to do and what they actually do, right? We expect people to do certain things. We expect them to act a certain way. We expect them to be at a certain place in a certain time. We expect them to accomplish a certain goal, to not behave themselves in a certain way. We expect people to do 
things, and sometimes what they actually do and what we expect them to do, well, they're not equal. And that's a gap. And people in life, well, they create gaps. We all make mistakes. We create gaps. And people and we care about do the same. And when a gap occurs, we have to decide how we are going to fill that gap. If someone creates a gap to you, but what they do versus what you expected them to do, you got to decide how you're going to fill that gap. We can fill gaps with either one of two things, trust or suspicion. That's our decision. We can fill that gap with trust in that moment, or we can fill it with suspicion. And I want you to remember that big idea before we move on, because every time a gap happens beyond today, I hope that whether it's today or two weeks from now that you'll remember, someone created a gap with me. Do I fill it with trust or suspicion? Because we have to choose. We choose to either believe the best or assume the worst in every situation. And so there's so many examples of this, and so I'll try to make it, I'll try to make it simple here. Uh, I see, I'll pick on Heather and Debbie since they're sitting next to each other here. So um, we, they're, uh, they're a part of a team culture, maybe at work. They work together, let's just say. And, uh, and uh, Debbie uh, shows up late to a meeting that Heather's running. And it's been, you know, the meeting started at 9 o'clock, and Heather's conducting it, and Debbie's supposed to be there with the other team members, and she walks in at 9.15. That's a gap. The expectation was nine. Someone arrives at 9.15. That's a gap they created. You know, picture this at your job, Ben, with your employees. It would be a perfect illustration for this. You have employees. You set them to be there on time. They walk in 15 minutes late. It's rough. I should have used you, but I'm picking on you girls now. So uh, what happens is, is at that moment, uh, Heather has got a decision to make. She could either say, well, there must have had, something must have happened with the kids this morning, and it kept her, held her back because she had something that came up that helped her from getting here on time. I know Debbie. If she could have been here early or on time, she would have been here for sure. I just know that's what she would have done. She's a good person. And, um, you know, she makes an effort and there, there, something happened on the road. I don't know, but there's a good reason. Or Heather can say in that moment, that Debbie, she really lacks character. I mean, she just probably hit the snooze bar too many times again. I'll tell you what I think about that. You know what her problem is? She doesn't value me. She doesn't value this meeting. That's the problem. Do you see what I'm saying? In that moment, she could have filled that gap with trust or with suspicion. And, and if, you're, if you're a person who your natural go-to is suspicion, you're already sitting there hearing me say this with, with the yeah buts. You know, everyone has the yeah buts. Yeah, but what if they don't deserve? We'll, we'll talk about some of that in a moment. But I think the problem is we tend to our go-to is to fill it with suspicion when someone creates a gap. And I'm saying we have a decision to make, and we ought to fill it with trust. Here's why. Because if the next week in that story, Heather comes in late to something, she is going to be thinking, well, it's because of what happened this morning that was out of my control. There's, there's a reason for it. And would assume that that's understood, but do we extend it to somebody else? So, it's called, there's a term for that in the human psyche. Psychologists use this term. I'm going to give you a term that you may have never heard of before, but it's an explanation psychologically for how we deal with the cognitive dissonance in our brains. The term is the fundamental attribution error. How many of you have heard of fundamental attribution error before? Be honest, anybody here know that's a familiar term? Okay. 
Okay, good. Then I'm not wasting your time. So fundamental attribution error, what does that mean? It's a term it's a, to, to describe a human behavior. What, what it is, the fundamental attribution error is the tendency of human beings to attribute the negative or frustrating behaviors of their colleagues to their intentions or their personalities. They did that to me because they're not a good person. They have bad character. They don't respect me. They, they assign their coworkers, their other person, their friends, negative or frustrating behaviors to their intentions or personalities. That's why they showed up late. That's why they did this thing or, or whatever. While, while attributing their own negative or frustrating behaviors to environmental factors. There was an accident on the road. I got a lot going on. My kids are struggling. You know, it could be a thousand things. See, my, my, my frustrations that I cause are because of environmental factors, but yours, well, that's just a personality problem. And this is, this is a fundamental attribution error, and it happens so easily. And even if we would look at that and say, oh, I don't do that or don't want to do that, probably most of us at some point have done that. We've walked in expecting people to understand our mitigating circumstances of life and how we acted or how we were, you know, how we were emotionally that day or, or, or something that was off, but we also struggle to give, to, to give that same perspective to other people because we figure there must be a different reason. And it's a big, big deal. Because at some point we have to decide, and then even this personal too, we'll think it's because they don't like me. I'm going to judge their character. This applies to work and it applies to business, obviously, and that's where I've often used it in, in my world. But this applies to marriage, right? This applies to your children. This applies to your parents. This applies to your church relationships, your faith community, your friend circles. So let's just let's, let's go down that path. In your marriage, your spouse comes in one day and they're just, they kind of snip, snip at you because they're, they just, you know, they, they, they're a little on edge and they just say something sharp or, you know, too pointed. And you're like, well, watch your tone. And your tendency is to think they're talking that way because they got a problem. They have an anger. They have a problem. And they don't respect me. And they don't care. Whereas if I, you know, you, if, if you turn around and do the same thing to them, you walk in and, and you're a little short, you're like, well, they need to understand I have a lot of stress on my plate. It's been a rough day. There's a hair in my contact lens. There's a reason, environmentally, why I'm that way. So you got to give me some grace here. But you, it's because you don't, you don't like, you know, you don't care. That's a, that's a fundamental attribution error. If I, your spouse comes in and they walk past you without acknowledging you or saying hi, or they just seem inconsiderate or just dismissive, and you're like, it's because they don't love me. But if you do it, it's because I'm sorry, I was distracted. There's a lot going on. And so it could be a thousand things. And so it's so important that we understand that it's naturally human to, we are offended. In fact, when someone doesn't, when we create a gap and someone doesn't fill it with trust, that creates a gap. We're like, I'm offended that you didn't trust me. But then at the same time, we expect people to believe the best about our intentions, but we sometimes struggle to give them the same grace back because we're thinking, well, I don't know why you did that, but I think it might be because you don't care or you have bad character. This is the wrestling match that we're talking about in our hearts today. Now, it's, it's important to do this with our children. And I know, you know, so you, you want to believe the worst because they, they only did that because they're bad. 
Maybe they're your young children, maybe they're your teens, maybe they're your adult children. And you're like, they're just doing that. They don't respect, you know, my name and you know, my feelings and whatever. Maybe they're just trying to figure out their own life right now. Maybe there's something a little more, less ominous than you're suspicioning. Or your parents are like, they won't let me go to that party because they hate me. Maybe they're looking out for me. Maybe they're protecting me. Maybe they see it differently than I do. I don't agree, but their heart is coming from a right angle instead of being horrible. We, when your parents create a gap, when your kids create a gap, when your spouse creates a gap, you can choose to put trust as the motive for that gap or suspicion can fill that gap. And it's important for the sake of, in church relationships, in faith community, in your family circles, in everything we do, it's important to find the space to place trust in our gaps. Now, I'm saying that for a reason because, and I'll get to some application here, but here's the thing. It's not just important to do it in my heart. It's not just important to do it here. It's important to do it vocally. For example, sometimes in a, in a culture, maybe a work situation or a church body or in your family, someone creates a gap and you're trying to put trust in that gap, but someone else in the family or someone else at the job or someone else in the church or your friend group, that person fills that gap with suspicion out loud. They're like, can you believe that person over there? Can you believe what they did? And they put suspicion there. They're not a good person. They don't care. And they fill it with suspicion. And you say, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. I was trying to put trust in their gap. Right? What's important in that moment is to not sit back and quietly feel good about yourself and say, hey, I didn't say those. I was thinking maybe the suspicious thoughts, but I was trying to give them trust, but I'm glad that they said it. Or I, I, I'm glad I didn't say this, I didn't bring up suspicion. What you have to do is not just fill their gap with trust in your own heart, but to step up publicly and when someone else is putting suspicion in someone else's gap, say, hold on now, time out. We don't know the whole story. Wait, time out. There's more going on. Wait, hold on. I know them. We know them. They're a good person. Wait, they could be, we, could miss, we might be missing some details. And you step in publicly when someone's putting suspicion there and you pull it and put trust there. You say, why should I do that? I'm not the leader. In my, in my, in, you know, I, you know, maybe I'm a child in my house and my siblings are upset and I, I'm not the leader. Maybe I'm an employee at my job. I'm not the leader. I'm not in charge of the small group that's grumbling in my, in my faith community, whatever. So why should I? Because you don't have to be in charge to lead. And we can lead a better culture from wherever we sit by saying, hey, hold on now. There's a better way to approach this. And publicly to put trust, because here's why. You are creating a culture. And, and this is, I'm going to get, please follow with me as we set the stage. You are creating a culture. You're creating a culture two ways whenever you make this decision. You create a culture in your team slash family slash church group, whatever it may be. And you create a culture in your own heart. You create both. So here's what I mean by that. You create, okay, let me talk about the, about the team culture first, then I'll talk about the individual. You create a culture in your team every time that you choose suspicion over trust. Because how many of you like to go to a job? How many of you like to go to work? And every single person at work is always on pins and needles because whenever someone messes up, everyone's all like, I can't believe them, and I know why they did that. Isn't that a fun place to work? Everyone loves that job. 
But isn't it great to be at a culture at work where everyone is always believing the best, supports each other. When someone falls short, they say, hey, that's okay. I'm sure there's a story behind it, but I'm just gonna, we're going forward that you know that there's grace, that there's people out there that are willing to step in that space and put trust where you create gaps. Versus saying, if I ever messed up, oh my goodness, heads will roll because they're gonna dress me down, right? That's the fear. Now, let me turn that around real quick. What if, what if, on the flip side of that coin, picture your home. Let me go to your house first. Imagine going to home, and, and some of you don't have to imagine that, maybe, I hope not, but you go home and everyone's on pins and needles. If I say it just the wrong way, if I, if I, if I don't bring this up the right way, if I, if I misstep, it's going to be bad. What kind of culture is that to live in? But when you go there and you just say, hey, we're okay. We know we love each other. We may have a bad moment, but we know we love each other. We've got each other's backs. It's a culture. It's a culture at home. It's a culture at work. It's a culture at church. If you've been to a church before where everyone, I mean, I've been around a long time in the church world. There are places where people come to worship and there's dissension and there's always criticisms and there's always thinking the worst and you almost go there with a knot in your stomach because you don't know what's being said or thought by somebody else. And we can't be vulnerable and we can't have gaps. Boy, that's miserable. So you, you want to create a better culture and you can't just sit back in your heart and do it. you got to step up when someone else creates a gap and someone's trying to put suspicion there and you say no. I think we're going to believe the best until we know better. Because that's the way to live. You're creating a culture in your family, your friend circle, your church, your, um, your place. But you're also, and this is so important, and this might be overlooked if we're not careful, you're also creating a culture in your own heart. You're creating a culture in your own heart. And here's what I mean by that. If you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we will start always learning by default to put suspicion when people create gaps. And next thing you know, our natural culture is always to be negative. Yep, I know why they did that, because they don't respect me. I know why they did that at work. Next thing you know, your employees are all jerks, your coworkers are jerks, your family members are all bad. Everyone in your life is, because you always see someone who leaves a gap that you feel perceived as there, and you're like, it's because they don't like me, they don't respect me, they're not a good person. And when we're running around all the time doing that, it just becomes a toxic culture in our hearts. That's no way to live. But people do, right? It's easy to do. And I'm not judging any of us. We all can fall into that. It's almost like if you start doing that, it becomes easier to do it again and easier to do it again. You're creating a negative culture versus saying, I'm going to assume the best. Well, what if I'm wrong? I would rather be wrong assuming the best than always wrong when I'm believing the worst. I know we all want to thread that needle perfectly. But sometimes people who are always thinking the worst, they, they, they assume I'm just a realist. That's a, that's, a, that's a way of me saying, you know, my negativity is just because I'm real. I'm a realist, you know. And that's just justifying a culture of, of, of suspicion. I'd rather be wrong because I believe the best rather than wrong because I believe the worst. So create a culture in yourself for your future relationships' sake or you're going to have a lot of damage all around you. And every, if, you if you see damage in every place you turn, at some point you've got to say, am I part of the problem? Not the whole problem, am I part of it? Is it somehow how I react to gaps that are created in my life? And also create a culture in your family, in your work environments of trust. 
Now, you say, well, Arlen, that's all fine and dandy, and I kind of get it, but what happens, what happens at some point when the problem keeps recurring? I filled the gap with trust, and the problem keeps recurring. Then what do I do? Here's what I want to say. At some point, you have to address it. So we'll pick on Debbie and Heather once more. So you guys are our, our team of, uh, of dissidents today. So at some point, the next week, Heather gives the trust in the gap for Debbie. Next week, Debbie shows up 15, 20 minutes late again. And the next week, she shows up 15 to 20 minutes late again. And I was like, trust, trust. So what do you do? Just 30 years of just trusting that. It's fine. It's got to be fine. No, at some point. But what do you do at some point? At some point, you got to confront it. At some point, when trust is recurring, you have to confront the problem. But... It should be done from a position. Don't miss this now. It's such a big deal. It should be confronted from a position of trust and not a position of suspicion. In other words, conflict should become a mission to seek information. It should come expecting for trust to continue instead of expecting for trust to be regained. And if we go to people all the time when we have to confront them and we come expecting them to regain trust, I believe the worst by now, but you can convince me I'm wrong. Instead of coming to them and saying, I'm sure there's a reason. I'm sure there's more to the story that I don't know. I don't know it all. And so I just want to, I've got to bring it up, and I'm sure it's me not knowing all the details, but help me know, help me understand, and come with trust and expect trust to continue rather than for trust to have to be regained. That's the best way forward. Because there's a book, uh, there's an author that you should read sometime. If, you're in, if you work with other people, you should read some of Patrick Lencioni's books. They're phenomenal. He has a book called The Advantage. In his book, he says this. When there is trust, conflict becomes nothing more than the pursuit of truth in an attempt to find the best possible answer. When there is trust, conflict or confrontation becomes Nothing more than the pursuit of truth in order to attempt to find the best possible answer. It's me coming to you saying, I don't know what's going on, but I, I think, I know you, you're a good person, help me know. Uh, you know, because I know there's, a, there's something here that's going to be, you know, satisfying. Because I'm coming, again, for trust to continue, not for trust to be regained. Big idea, big idea. Now, folks, let's be frank here. This requires humility on our parts. This requires humility to be able to come to people and say, to come to people that way when we confront them. Because we have to be willing to say, there's more that I don't know. That's humility, by the way. Because we want to come and say, oh, I know why they're doing that. Or we're like, I don't know why, but it's probably bad. You know, whenever you find yourself sitting around saying, I don't know why so-and-so is that way. I understand how so-and-so can do this think this way, believe that, at some point we're admitting that part of the imperfection is on our, our end. Because do you hear the words we just used? I don't know why. I don't understand how. So in other words, at, at some level, there's a, there's a, I'm missing a piece. So when I can come with humility and say, hey, help me. Because genuinely, I know you're a good person and I, 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 I can see things are so wrong sometimes or I can miss, miss information Help me know. I want to believe that trust is here. Not you regain my trust. See how the culture is different? And again, it might seem like nuance and it might seem small, but no one wants to work in a culture, live in a culture, live in a home, attend a place of worship where the culture is always the negative. We want to find a place where trust is the go-to with the gaps.
okay? It's a big deal. Now, I'm gonna flip this around before I get to the, uh, the scripture. On the flip side, we have to understand on the flip side that we create gaps. I create gaps. What did James, the brother of Jesus, say earlier? In many, we all make many mistakes. I create gaps too. In my job, in my church, in my work, in my family, in my, we all do. And so when we create the gap, what do we do? Well, what I'm not wanting you to do is to sit there today and say, good, I'm gonna keep on creating gaps and they'll, but they better listen to Arlen's message and if they didn't, I'll send them a copy. They need to put trust in my gap I'm creating. That's not the way forward. What we have to do is understand that when we create gaps, we put other people in a difficult position of having to say, what do they fill in our gap? And they gotta work through the tension of putting trust there instead of suspicion. So we can't rely on them to do the right thing. It's our responsibility to be trustworthy. Being trustworthy simply means I will be worthy of your trust. Now, you, I, you said, Arlen, but you just admitted, the Bible says we all make many mistakes. Yes, that's true. Being trustworthy, though, doesn't mean we're perfect. Being trustworthy means we do our best not to create a gap. Right? But being trustworthy also means that when we do create a gap, we always own up to our gaps. We always own up to them. In other words, if possible, we point out our gaps before they even occur. Back to you two. I'm picking on you two today. So Debbie knows she's going to come into the meeting late. She, she, she doesn't create gaps by being there on time or early, but when she realizes I'm going to be late and it's going to create a gap, they're going to wonder why I wasn't there. She calls ahead and says, hey, I'm going to be late and I want you to know there's a reason why, and that's, that fills the gap, right? We create a gap with people in our lives, or you flip it around the other way. You go to somebody and you say, hey, I created a gap. I couldn't get in front of it. It's already happened. I'm coming to you after the fact, and I'm acknowledging I know I created a gap. I'm acknowledging the gap I created to you, and I'm telling you it's not, here's, what, here's my explanation. I'm gonna explain myself so you don't have to come find me or try to trust me. I'm going to come explain myself and I'm going to tell you how that I'm going to try to never create that gap again. If we do that kind of thing, oh man, it's easy to trust. It makes it easier for people to fill our gaps with trust because the next time we create a gap, they're going to be like, hey, I trust them. I remember the last time they created a gap and they came and they, they, got, they made it right. They got in front of it. They, they, I know them. So you're establishing, you're banking away future trust when you own your gaps beforehand or after with a plan to not, just owning it, just owning it and doing the right thing. We have to learn to own up to our gaps, fill them with trust by being trustworthy in how we respond once we create them versus leaving somebody in the lurch of trying to be trusting instead of suspicious. Imagine if we all did this. Imagine if everyone did this. This is what we call a double safety net. Now I want to ask a question. This is a very important, deep theological question. How many of you are afraid of heights? Be honest. You're afraid of heights? Raise your hand. And, okay, we've got a few honest people here. Afraid of heights? Good. How many of you, let's go a step further. You're terrified of heights. Like, you, you just, no way, Jose. Anybody terrified of heights? You're terrified of heights? Okay. My son's that way. He, uh, he won't go on a, a tall bridge, like a, at a destination over a gorge, because um, even though it's safely built, just the idea is like, nope, see, you know, tell me how it was. Terrified, right? Okay, is that, is that how bad it is for you? Or? Yeah, I'm pretty scared. Okay, that's fair. 
And, uh, and, I, and to be honest with you, you know, he's that way. I, I don't have that particular bug. I don't mind him. I don't mind going up on the, the roof and, and seeing the town from that strip up there. I enjoy that when we worked on the steeple. But depending on the footing I have, that's where I get a little uneasy. I've been on some scaffolding in this room. I changed these light bulbs one time with a concoction of devices that I'm glad none of you saw because you would have been mad at me. And God kept me safe somehow. So here's what I'm saying. Sometimes I don't love heights. But if I was ever to be in a trapeze artist, not going to happen, I would, you say, Arlen, would you want a safety net underneath you if you were doing a trapeze work? No. I would want two safety nets beneath me on the trapeze, right? I want two. I want one in case the one breaks, the other one's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Like a double safety net's the way to live. And that's what I'm talking about today. If we become people in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our houses of worship, where we learn to fill our gaps by being trustworthy, and when we make a gap to own it, to help them know that they can trust us, but at the same time when other people create gaps, we step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to expect the worst, I'm going to believe the best, and we put trust in their gaps rather than suspicion, it's a double safety net. If either one falls is going to be okay. And when, when relationships, when work cultures, when families, when marriages, when, when, when neither net is working, pop, there's a crash at the bottom sometimes. There's a mess that's made. But when either one is in place, it might be okay. And when both are in place and one has a bad day, you're going to be okay still. This is the path forward. This is how you create healthy cultures in your lives. Healthy relationships work best when we both earn and give trust. Healthy relationships work best when we both earn trust, but we also give trust. And they don't work best when we expect them to earn trust and we are slow to give it. The fundamental attribution error, right? Now you say, well, Arlen, why should we do this? I hear what you're saying, but why should we do this? Why should we do what you're, what you're preaching today? There's a couple of reasons why. And I know it's hard. Before I get to the reasons, it's hard. I see this all the time. I can't tell you how many times in the years of pastoring I see someone's relationship could be, you know, two friends, could be two family members on some, on some level. And there's a breakup. And when you find out that they're at odds with each other, they're not, they're not talking, whatever it may be, when you talk to each of them, they have a version of the story that's very different than the other person's version. What their version is, is, they said these certain hurtful things to me. How could they ever say that to me? How could they ever? They think that that's horrible. They don't love me or they don't respect me. They don't like me or they're just a bad, mean person. Whatever it is, they said these things and I'm not getting over it. And by the way, I have tried. I have done this good thing in the, and I've done that good thing in the relationship and I've done this good thing. But yes, the other person, and they're saying, that person said this hurtful thing or did that hurtful thing or that hurtful thing. How could they ever do that? And I have tried. I've done this good thing and this good thing. And you're, when, you, when you're in the spot of trying to help them, you're like, well, you know, you also said some hurtful things. Well, I'm, it's just because they provoked me. Oh, so there's an excuse. But they said some hurtful things. And there's no excuse for that. When you ask one person about the good that they've done, what about the good the other person did? Well, it's because they, they're supposed to, so they didn't really care. You know, I mean, just, there's just a, a sense of, of not playing this game very honestly. I know it's hard, but we've got to learn. And look, I understand how, how hard it can be when people in your life hurt you, but we are all better off when we create a personal culture of trust 
in general in life, even though people have burned us before, and we create a general set of suspicion, and when we work to be trustworthy in the first place. And our teens, our homes are healthier, and it's easier to be around us and around each other when this exists. Healthy relationships work best when we both earn and give trust. Why should we do this? Well, I'm going to give you the main reason is, is for those of us who are Jesus followers, because we're commanded to. So I'll give that. But if you're not a Jesus follower, I hope you would be. I hope that you'll trust in him. I hope that you'll believe that he loves you and, he, and make your peace with God and, and, and let him walk with you through life. But even if you're not there yet or you're not there today, here's what I want to say. This is still good advice because this is how life is happy. Because when we do unto others as we have others do unto us. When we say, I want to fill your gaps with trust because I want people to fill my gaps with trust. And I'll try to be trustworthy because I want people to be trustworthy. When we do what we want others to do, we're doing unto others. It's just a better way. It's a better better atmosphere to live in. So no matter what your belief system is, that's an awesome way to go forward. But if you're a Jesus follower, you have no excuse. Because quite honestly, this is an all-skate. It's interesting the gospel models this for us. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we love to sing about the gospel, embrace the gospel, worship to the gospel, but we sometimes struggle to live out the gospel. But we're called to live it out. It's interesting how God's heart towards us. All of us have created gaps with God, haven't we? The Bible calls that word sin. We've all sinned. We've all created gaps. And the difference between us and God is that God's not just sitting there wondering if we should put trust or suspicion in our gaps. He knows. He knows when we're wrong. You know, there's no, there's no doubt here. We know when we've blown it. He knows. And if God was like some of us, he would look at our sin and say, eh, you created a gap. It's not my fault. It's yours. The relationship's over because it's not me. It's you. And he'd be right. But God in his love did something amazing. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself and he came and, and walked in our shoes and became obedient to death and he built a bridge back to us though our gap was our fault. Interesting that even on the cross, you read the story of the crucifixion and we find part of it in Luke chapter 23. It says that when they came to a place called the skull and, and they nailed him to the cross, the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. It's interesting that crucifixion was for, for the Romans The Roman Empire, crucifixion was a capital punishment that you did when you wanted to leave a message behind. Crucifixion was you saying to somebody, hey, guess what? You're going to suffer and die in such a humiliating, degrading, painful, suffering way that other people will not want to do what you did because that's a very big deterrent. It was horrible. So these people crucified next to Jesus had done some capital offenses, at least in Rome's eyes, at least in the government's eyes, to be worthy of that crucifixion. But not Jesus. Jesus was tur- turned over out of spite. His own people turned against him. The crowd, you know, crucify him, right? And the, the religious leaders were jealous of his, his influence, and they said, let's get him out of here. And he's being crucified in innocence next to people who were getting crucified for capital offenses. And, and he's, he's dying on the cross I know it was God's will, but by man's hands, it was wrong. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And let's just be real. I, have a, I find that hard to believe. Come on, they knew exactly what they were doing, right? That's what we say, don't we? That's what we say to people in our lives when they wrong us. 
oh, they knew exactly what they were doing. When she did that, when he said that, when she didn't do this, they knew exactly what they were doing to me. That's what we think. When people create gaps, we're always like, not always like, we, we tend to be like, sometimes saying, hmm, they knew. Here's Jesus on the cross. I mean, how could it be misconstrued what they were doing? And he's like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What? And what he was saying was, yes, there's no doubt what they're doing is wrong. But they don't understand the spiritual story going on behind the scenes. They don't understand the gospel being played out. They don't understand the bigger story. They don't know what's really at stake. They don't get it. Some of them are worked up by the, by the mob. Some people are, have been turned aside to, to be upset. Some people are just, just, they're just they're, they don't see it. Even in their bad behavior, there's a blindness that has driven it. And so I'm going to find a grace somehow in this moment to say, Father, forgive them. That's remarkable. But Jesus was portraying, not just in this case, but over and over again, was portraying an attitude from God because he was God. He was God in a bod, right? He was, it was the word made flesh. And he was portraying for us what God the Father, what God the Father has always been about. In fact, I love what Psalms 103 says. Psalms 103, 13 says, The Lord is like a father to his children. Great statement for Father's Day. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate toward those who fear him. Don't miss verse 14. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. That our Heavenly Father looks at us when we just downright mess up. When we create gaps. And he's like, well, you know, you're human. Whole buddy's nerfed. He's not excusing that it's dismissing that the seriousness of wrongdoing. He's saying, I know you're flawed. You're not perfect. Hey, you're only dust. In other words, that's not that's a, a demeaning, like you're just mere dust. He's saying, it's hard. Being human, we, 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 all, we all blow it sometimes. We do things wrong. It's like you hopefully do to your kids. That's what the previous verse said, you, you fathers. Like he's like a father. Hopefully, when your kids are little, you're like, child. Don't you understand the algebraic significance of how this impacts the overall general budget of the next? You know, we don't think, we look at them and say, well, you're young. You don't understand yet. And it should temper our attitudes versus being harsh. And God, as a father, looks at us and says, you're not me. <laughs> you're not that awesome. You're not that perfect. I love you, but I know you're going to make mistakes. And Jesus modeled this. He modeled it over and over. He taught it to his disciples to say, Father, Jesus, how many times should I deal with my brother offends me and I have to make it right with him? How many times? As many times as necessary. So this, this was a Jesus teaching, Jesus living, Jesus on the cross moment that he taught. In fact, before Jesus was crucified, in his last hours together with his disciples, the night he would be arrested, Jesus sat down to have a last meal with them, and during the meal, he taught them his final, final instructions. These are, the, these are the things that mattered before he went to the cross. And in that talk, he makes a statement that I love. In, in, in John 13, 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And that's why I said earlier that when it comes to how we treat people who create gaps in our life, if, if I'm not a Jesus follower, it's still a good way to live. But if we're Jesus followers, if we claim to be you know, believers and, and we're Christian, this is, this is an, an, it's an all-skate. All We've been given an example to follow. We're to do as he has done for us. It's a good principle in life to do to others as I wish they would do to me. 
But a better principle as a follower of Christ is to do as Jesus has done for me. Is for me to live out the gospel in my relationships. And living out the gospel says, if God can take my shortcomings and bring, put, fill that with grace, if Jesus could humble himself and become obedient to death to build a bridge relationally back to me, despite the gaps I created, then I can look at my coworker or my fellow person in my worship center or in my friend circle who disappoints my expectations and creates a gap. And I am not God. I might actually be wrong about how I see this. But if God can do that for me, I can definitely fill their gap with trust instead of suspicion. And if it's recurring, I'll confront it with trust to find knowledge to keep going forward. And I'm going to work my life not to be a person who runs around on one side trying to somehow believe that God has grace for me while running around suspicious all the time, all the time. I believe this about you, and some, some, some of us, this might be close to where you're struggling today. If you're the kind of person who runs around always putting suspicion when people create gaps in your life, that's just because you've been hurt before, because this is how you are, and that's just your go-to. You are probably someone who also struggles to really believe that God loves you and he's got grace for you. Because it's hard to believe that for yourself when we don't offer it. It's just hard to believe it. And for your own sake, when we go forward and we put, when we let people who create gaps, our go-to is trust. Until it's proven otherwise. Until it's exhausted. We always start with trust. We stick with trust as long as possible with people. What you'll do is you'll get, you'll get it wrong sometimes. You'll trust someone they shouldn't have trusted, but it's better than always being the opposite person. But if you'll do that along the way and you'll fill it with trust, here's what will happen. You'll be able to go to God and say, God, it's hard sometimes, but that's what you've done for me. And it's easier to believe that someone could do it for you when you model it. So the work, living out the gospel will make the gospel more real to you. It'll make it more believable because you'll see and you'll appreciate what Jesus did because you'll know how hard it can be but it's the only path forward. It's the only way to create a culture worth living in at home, at work, at church, or any other place in your life. And it's what Jesus modeled for us. So I'm gonna close and I encourage you to do that. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray with you. I gotta read a couple of questions for reflection. We're gonna pray and have a time to worship. But here's some questions to take home with you. If you're by yourself, reflect on these questions at home this week. If you are um, in marriage, discuss them with your spouse. If you're in a family, discuss it with your family. If you're in a small group, find somebody to do this with. But here's some questions for reflection. Question one is this. Are there people in your life that you have a difficult time trusting? And, and, just, and just wrestle that down. Why is that? Is it because you, you did this right over and over and over again and they eventually became untrustworthy and proved to be on a shadow of a doubt. You, you exhausted that option before it became obvious, okay, now we've got a different problem that needs a different solution. It's eventually, I fired that employee. When, when, when Heather goes to Debbie and says, I'm trusting that you're late for a reason, 10 times later, she's like, okay, I'm gonna confront you about it because I don't know everything. And Debbie's like, oh, I just don't care. Oh, <laughs> really? Well, at some point, you gotta say, okay, well, maybe we don't need to have this relationship anymore, Right? So there comes a point where you got to deal with the hard stuff. But, but, but if our go-to is not trust, we're going to have a lousy culture in every part of our life, including our own heart. So are there people in your life you have a difficult time trusting? Is that because of them or because of a go-to mechanism that you've had from past hurts or past bad examples? 
They are modeling how to do this for you. Number two, are you someone who naturally or intentionally fills gaps with trust? You're just natural at this, or you're not natural, but you're intentional to do it anyhow. If not, how can you do a better job of trusting others when they create a gap? Third question is this, would you consider yourself a trustworthy person? And the addition to that question is, how can you own the gaps that you created to help others trust you better? If, I think if we work through these things honestly and build those double safety nets in our relationship, it'll be better. Now, we're going to post those questions on Facebook, our, our church Facebook page this week so you can follow them up there as well. But I hope that today at some point we will decide when the – maybe today, maybe you're already – maybe this is hitting home today for you. This is like real. But maybe in two weeks something's going to happen and you're going to be like, oh, that sermon, I got gaps here. What am I going to do? Trust or suspicion. I hope that when you need it most, it comes to mind. And I hope that as you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, in those moments, we'll live it out in our relationships.